Genesis 30 this morning. And last week we, uh, we learned that how Jacob had worked for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And on the day of his marriage, uh, the Laban, the father-in-law, switched his daughters out. And we kind of talked about how that could happen, the full veils and all that, with the drinking that would go on with weddings. We would never heard of drinking at weddings, right? You know, that would never happen, and, and there would never be an issue there. But we saw that. Jacob woke the next morning, and there was a big surprise. There was a different woman in bed than what he thought was going to be. It was her sister. He was looking for Rachel, and Leah woke up. And Laban said to him, basically, well, young man, around here, there's a cultural etiquette that you need to learn. We never marry off the younger before the older is married. It's just the way it was. So basically, Laban says, well, you can marry. You can marry Rachel right now if you want, but you'll need to work seven more years because he'd already worked for seven years for her hand in marriage. So he works for 14 years for two wives, and he ends up with two wives, one wife he really loved and one wife he did not. And Leah, or Leah tried to get him to love her uh, in many different ways, but to no avail. So the Lord opens up Leah's wound, or womb and leaves Rachel barren. Rachel couldn't have children. So Genesis 29, verse 32 is where we're going to pick up. And it says, she named him Reuben. In other words, she had a child. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah Then she stopped having children. Chapter 30, it goes on and says, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. I mean, that's, you know, because the belief system back then was if you didn't have children, you were cursed by God. She's sitting there going, give me children or I'll die here. And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? He's going, I'm not God. I can't do anything about this. Now, it's kind of interesting. Rachel was a a type of child that um, she was used to getting what she wanted. She, uh, uh, I'm sure none of us know anybody like that, that they're used to getting what they wanted, and you kind of look at them as like a diva and all that kind of stuff. Any, you, you, everybody know somebody like that? Maybe if you don't know somebody like that, look in the mirror. I, I'm just, just saying, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord, you know. But, uh, wow, she's mad. She's like, you better get me pregnant. I don't know what's going on, but you better. She's prideful. Think about this. Her husband worked for 14 years to get her hand in marriage. She felt special. Sort of get the impression she's self-focused. Leah was getting all the attention from others. I mean, she's been just popping out kids. I mean, four boys. I mean, I grew up in a family of four boys. It's a big deal. Everywhere we went, people went, wow, four boys? 
how do you handle them? You know, talking to my mom and all that kind of stuff. And my dad's sitting there going with an iron fist. That's how I handle them. So, you know. But I also think that what's going on here with Leah and Rachel is I think the Lord is trying to help Rachel mature here a little bit. Trying to help her grow up in a little bit. In fact, both Leah and Rachel both needed to mature. They were both looking for for someone to make them happy in this world. And happiness is a very tricky thing. One, I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I had my sister's beauty and the love of my husband, I'd be happy. And Rachel, the other one, sitting there going, man, I got the great beauty and the husband that loves me, but if I just have kids, that'll make me happy. See, the problem with happiness is it's not about our circumstances. It's based on circumstances. I mean, if it's based on circumstances and not on the Lord God Almighty and what God is doing in your life, it always leads to unhappiness. If you're basing your happiness on this world, you will be unhappy, period. So if you've been unhappy a lot lately, Ask yourself a question. What am I basing my happiness on? Because our circumstances change so quickly, don't they? I mean, you're just going along, and all of a sudden, there's a huge wreck right in front of you, and you end up in the middle of it, and you're sitting there going, how did this happen? Maybe you didn't even cause the wreck, but all of a sudden, you know, that's our life sometimes. Life circumstances change. See, happiness is tied to our relationship with the Lord, and it's not really called happiness, it's called joy. Joy is an inward uh, quality based on absolute truth that God loves me. Say that, God loves me. Now say it again, God loves me. Yeah, he loves you. I am in Christ, and no matter what happens, God will not disown me. God will never forsake me or leave me. You see, our God never changes. Therefore, I can always have this foundation of joy in my life because my joy is based on God, not on people. Because I have this thing called eternal life. See, things are going to pass away in this world, but I have eternal life. I know where I'm headed so I can have that underlying joy. And then my circumstances can go up and down, but my joy can go, you know what? God is in control, and, and I'm going to rely on him, and that's okay. I, this is really messed up. I hate that I'm going through this, but I can make it through this. Verse 3, it says, then she said, so Rachel's talking, here is Bilhah, my servant, Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I can build a family through her. And we've talked about this, and, and this is the world's way, and this is the world back then. The, the Code of Hammurabi allowed this. Uh, it's the world's standards. If you had a servant and uh, you weren't able to produce children, you needed children to, to, to help with the family chores and life at that point. Um, now we have computers to do all that stuff. Our kids used to, you know, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, but basically, you would say, here, have my servant, and that, as she produced a child, that servant became your child in the family. Not the servant's child, your child, because the owner of the servant, you see what I'm saying? Now, again, I'm not espousing this. I think this is wrong. This is just the way society was. Verse 4, so she gave him uh, her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. 
Okay, you can get the attitude there. She's like, yes, he's vindicated me. And he has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Dan means vindication or judgment. Rachel is saying, I'm innocent of being barren. God has blessed me now with a son. You can see the convoluted thinking, but this is how it worked. Verse 7. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So you can see the sisterly love just going on here, you know. I mean, this is like Sharon and Donna just playing it out right here in the middle of the church. Not really. They love each other, okay? But you could imagine if they hated each other, how it would, yeah, how it would divide things, right? That's what we're going to see right here with Jacob. Man, world standards. Then Rachel, uh, let's see, um, where am I at? Oh, yeah, so, so she's, she's saying, uh, then Rachel also said, I have great struggle with my sister, and I have one. So she named him uh, Naphtali, or, or however you want to pronounce that, which means my struggle or my wrestle. So she's claiming victory, and this is a very dysfunctional family. There's jealousy going on. There's bitterness going on. There's competition going on. There's fighting going on. Uh, this would make a great reality TV show. Uh, for today, um, you know, this is one of the reasons God never really sanctioned polygamy. Um, it's never his will for, to have multiple people involved in a marriage. It results in competition between the wives. No woman should ever have to compete for her husband's love. Once the rings go on, the competition is over. Any spouse should never have to wonder about their spouse, husband or wife. That's just the way it is. That's how God wants it. God finally outlaws this practice of polygamy because it produced so many problems. In Leviticus 18.18, it says, Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. So, and it goes on, there's a whole bunch of other rules that are really good for marriage too, but that's just one of them. So verse 9 in Genesis 30, it says, When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant uh, Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune? So she named him Gad. Guess what his name means? Good fortune or troop. In other words, she's saying, man, God has given to me a whole troop you know, a whole troop of sons here, and this is a great thing. So Leah's servant, uh, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, how happy am I? The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher, and Asher means happy. Now, at the end of chapter 29, didn't she say, I'm focused on the Lord? Remember when, when you know, she's trying to get her husband's love? And the love wasn't coming really back. And then she had Jacob, and she says, God gave me another son because I'm focused on the Lord, and I'm happy about that focus. For but all of a sudden, she's in comp competition for happiness again here. What's interesting to me is the fact that she said she had Jacob, I am focused on the Lord. Where does the line of Christ come from? The line of Judah. When she was focused on the Lord, she actually had the child Judah. So when we focus on the Lord, great things happen. Now, have you noticed here that Jacob has oddly just gone along with everything here? What a godly man Jacob is, right? Just doing what his wives want him to do, you know. 
Jacob is not a very spiritual man at all. He is saved. He's a believer. Saved as in the Old Testament saved, but he was a believer in the one true God. But he's not a very spiritual man whatsoever. Abraham built altars to honor God. Isaac built all these wells. Uh, Both spoke of worship. Jacob really didn't do anything. And it shows up right here. He is not leading the family. He's just submitting to this. This is the world's way. This is the world's thinking. Well, if God won't do it this way, then I'll try to circumvent God and do it that way. A carnal man reading this would think, man, Jacob's got it made. You know, you go out in the world and talk about this, and, you know, the guys would be like, yeah, man, he's got it going on here, you know. But a spiritual man would think, oh, no, no, this is not good at all. This is not normal. This is sick. And Jacob is just going along with this competition for his love and approval, and it's wrong. Verse 14, it says, during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrakes plants, and he brought them to his mother Leah. Now, Reuben is probably around seven or eight years old at this point, a little kid. And, and Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, was it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Now, if you just read this out of context, you'd be like, what? What's going on here? You're taking the little flowers and you're all upset about it? Well, mandrakes is a small Middle Eastern plant that grows close to the ground. It's a lot like a strawberry. And it's often called over there love apples, okay? It was mentioned, it's also mentioned in Song of Solomon. It's supposed to help women get pregnant, okay? So it sounds like this is a little more of a superstitious thing than anything else. But ironic, uh, ironic here, Leah, who gives the mandrakes, actually has two more children. In other words, she gave up the, you know, what's supposed to come back. In other words, she gave them away. She has two more children. Rachel, who receives the mandrakes, is barren for three more years. So much for the love apple, okay? There's a bunch of hoo-ha going on here, you know? Very well, Rachel says. He can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. So here's a bargaining going on for, uh, for him and his love. Uh, two different tents they would go to. In other words, it's almost like two different homes. I don't, what's that stupid show on? Wow, that's pretty sad that we all know what it is, right? Sister Wives, you know where they have multiple homes? And, you know, I think they have four different homes in one cul-de-sac. I don't know, but it, it's just dumb, okay? Uh, don't even get, I, I could stay there all day, but I shouldn't. So that's what's going on here. They would have two different tents. You would think these people would learn from the Old Testament, right? They don't. So verse 16, it goes on and says, So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. Wow. Having to buy your husband's affections. It's pretty sad. Then we start thinking, do I do this with the Lord? If we are the bride of Christ, how do we do this to God? I think sometimes God has to bless us, give us something to get our attention here. How many times do we forget about the Lord? The Lord Jesus is our bridegroom. He wants to spend time with us, and and we're supposed to be fellowshipping with him. Yet sometimes God's sitting there going, I have to bless him to even get their attention. Verse 17, it says, God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my household. So she named him Issachar. 
means my hire or my wage. This is like a thumb in the eye to Rachel, okay? So, I mean, this, this competition just goes deep here. Verse 19, Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented, presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun, meaning gift or honor. So now, <laughs> basically she's saying now he'll, he'll have to live with me. I mean, come on, I'm the one producing all the children. Sometime later she gave a, verse 21, sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Now, Dinah will become important later on in a few chapters uh, from here. Uh, so keep that name in mind. Verse 22 says, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. So at this point, Jacob's other daughter is born, and he has multiple daughters uh, also in the middle of all this. And, but this is the only one that's named Dinah, uh, which means judgment. Joseph means may he add. So Rachel's already looking forward. I, I've got one more, and, and God, you, you're going to add another one here. So it's, it's almost like she's bargaining with God also. This is the I want syndrome. And when you get what you want, what happens? Usually we want more. You know, my wife and I, I've mentioned this before, on vacations, you know, like to go strolling around in the shops and stuff like that. We don't do that too much now. You know why? Because I have a I want son. And I'm fixing to have another one that's kind of the same way. I want, I want, I want, you know. So we have discussions before we go into the Legoland store, you know. And all this kind of stuff. You know, because the... That, that desire is just there. Once I want, get what I want, I just want more. We need to start enjoying what God has blessed us with. We need to not take God, you know, lightly for what he's given to us and what he's granted to us. And important things are, are things that money cannot buy. Rachel's prayer will be answered in the birth of her second biological son. She named him Ben-Honoi which means the son of my sorrow. She named him this because she had a rough birth and, and she was dying. And Jacob renames him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Uh, Joseph was, was a son who ends up saving the whole family. So uh, we'll get into all that as we, we go forward, but it's, it's very interesting. In verse 25, it says, After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. So, so the story kind of switches from all the stuff that's going on to the wives, back to Jacob a little bit. And, and he's been in Haran for over 20 years, wanting and waiting to go back to his homeland and asking for Laban's blessing is what he's trying to do here. So he goes on and says, give me my wives and children for whom uh, I have served you. And I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, we have talked about this a little bit in the past. 
how God will bless those who are around Christians. God will automatically bless Christians just because we're, we're Christians. He, we're his children. He wants to bless us. And that blessing can spill over into our jobs. That blessing can spill over onto unbelievers, um, either in our household or in our home or in our workplace or in our school and all sorts of different areas. This applies to the, uh, the unsaved world also. There have been great blessings brought to Christians by this world, uh, or Christians to this world. And once the rapture happens, guess what? All that goodness, then the Holy Spirit goes away. And they'll soon realize it'll be very different, and the judgment of God will start at that point. God has been withholding judgment in this world because we're here, because of his people. When we're removed, the blessings cease, judgment starts to come. Same for marriage or businesses. If an unbeliever leaves, no big deal. If a believer leaves, business may come apart at the seams. The business may be being blessed because there's a believer there. Laban learned by experience. He learned by my divination here. Uh, in the Hebrew, it goes on, it talks about this. That Laban had been perplexed in the, in the book of Hebrews, but Laban had been perplexed by the fact of, of what was going on with Jacob. Why was he being blessed? Why was his, his work being increased? So he went to some oracle, went to some, you know, some spirit out there and asking for Jacob's secret. If I can find out his secret, that'd be awesome. Laban figured out that, that he was under special care of the Jehovah. In other words, God was blessing him. You might remember if you, if you read the book of Saul, Saul went to the witch of Endor because God was not speaking to him. And the, the witch, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the witch went to contact um, who, uh, Samuel. You remember that. Uh, and and basically, basically trying to talk to the dead. And, and Samuel said, what, what are you doing? What, you know, what's going on? And, and the Lord says, we shouldn't be doing this. Some of us think no big deal. You know, go by the palm readers or all this kind of st- stuff and the horoscopes and all. But the Lord tells us we need to stay away from all of that. All of that. We think it's just a game. Oh, they're just out there taking people's money, but it's so much more. And then the Holy, you know, then a spirit shows up and it really freaks people out. God doesn't honor witchcraft. He actually uses the spirit to talk to Saul one last time, uh, you know. But so Laban kind of did the same thing. He went to witchcraft to figure out what was going on, and then he found out that God was blessing Jacob. And next week, this will be very important. But Laban will want to kill him, and God appears to him and basically says, don't touch him. Verse 20, uh, 28 goes on. It says, he added, uh, name your wages, and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had had before I came increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you whenever I have, uh, wherever I have been. But now... When may I do something for my own household? This is very normal. Man, I've been working for you. You've been very blessed, but I want to build my household here. And it goes on in verse 31. What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. 
Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, or every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession is not speckled or spotted. Any, or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it, uh, let it be as you said. The same day he removed all the male goats that are streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, um, you know, all that had white on them and all that the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, this is kind of confusing for us. Um, scholars are all over the map on this. This is what I think. Laban wants Jacob to stay a little longer. Jacob says, well, nothing is free. You've got to give me something here. Just give me all the spotted animals. Uh, and any future goats, anything else is spotted, I will take. This is a good deal for Laban because most of the sheep were white and most of the goats were black in that culture, okay? So you had a few spotted and streaked ones here and there, but they wasn't the majority. The speckled and spotted and brown ones, they were a rarity. And also he sweetened the deal. He said, go through and take the others and give them to your sons. In other words, go and take mine out, give them to your sons and, let, and, and take them away. And your sons can watch over my flocks and I will watch over your flocks. This will serve two purposes. It'll keep Jacob's animals from breeding with Laban's, right? You know, just genetic-wise, you know, so less of that happening there. But, you know, it'll increase the number of the speckled flock, too, if Jacob's being blessed. Also, it keeps Jacob in charge of Laban's flocks. Jacob is, is stacking the decks really against himself. It's a bad deal for Jacob, a good deal for Laban. He's so excited, uh, you know, about this, Laban is, that in verse 34, he just shouts, agreed. Normally, there's a bargaining back and forth, especially in that culture. He just goes, I agree, I, good, that sounds good to me. Laban doesn't even barter at all. Then Laban takes the flocks three days' journey away. Why? He doesn't want Jacob cheating at all and using them to breed with Laban's flocks. Now, let me warn you, this is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible, uh, I'm going to read it, I'll explain it to the best of my ability, but um, it's just kind of weird to begin with, so you'll see as we go through it. So, verse 37, Jacob, however, took fresh cut, cut branches from poplar, almond, and plain, uh, plain trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would uh, be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat, they came to drink. They made it in front of the, uh, of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked and speckled and spotted. Jacob set uh, apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in, in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he did not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In the same way, 
the man, uh, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own, <coughs> own large flocks and the female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, again, most commentators would say this is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. They don't really know what's going on. Superstitious. It's nonsense. Um, or even that this is unethical uh, practice and, and he's kind of cheating uh, Laban. Well, first of all, why would it be unethical? If Jacob uh, did somehow use this to his advantage. He's just using the skills that he learned as a shepherd. Now, what Jacob did with these rods might have a might have like a science background to it. We don't really know, but he's about a hundred years old, and he's been shepherding a long time. You know, sixty to seventy to eighty years he's been shepherding. I mean, give him some credit. Maybe he learned something. I don't know, but he had seen it. And now he's using it for his advantage. Now, there is some credibility uh, to this. It's, it's been tried and been successful even in today's age. Um, at the sight of the white streaked rods, uh, somehow excites the sheep and the goats. All I know is it's just all weird. And God's in control, right? So maybe God just let it happen. I don't know. Ultimately, it was God. God has promised Jacob that he would bless him. So he didn't need to really try that stuff. Again, it's us going, well, if God's going to bless me, I need to manipulate God into blessing me. Interesting thing about this, in chapter 31, he indicates that God showed him this in a dream. So maybe God was just going, here, do this, and I'll, I'll work out the results. I don't know. But this was Jacob acting in faith in what God was going to do. Uh, maybe the rods had nothing to do with it. But the faith in God that God would help him with this. In fact, in uh, chapter 31, verse 10, um, I'll just read this here. It says, in, in breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock uh, were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, which you anointed uh, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. So there's a whole bunch going on here. We, do, we don't know all the details of why. God may tell us these things. Um, God may not tell us these things, but it's an act of faith. God was telling him, look, I know what's going on. I know what Laban's been doing to you. See, some, sometimes we think God doesn't know what's going on in our life. You know, we're in the middle of the situation. We're like, where's God? God, wake up. Hello. Come on. You know, I keep telling my son I have eyes in the back of my head. And I can predict what he's going to do because I know him, you know. And I can, I'll say something to him. He's like, how did you know? I'm like, I got eyes in the back of my head. I got eyes in the side of my head. I know these things. Okay, now, for all the parents, we kind of all go, yeah, uh, you know, funny. But the reality is God really does know what's going on. He knows what we're going through, and he will be there for us. All we need to do is call out to him. It's a test of faith. Now, later on, we'll, we'll learn that Laban changed Jacob's wages like 10 times, and not in a good way. Not like, hey, come on in. Let's talk about your raise. No, no, no. He manipulated him, and his pay kept going down over 10 times. He was cheating him. So Laban was not a good guy at all, but God blessed Jacob, and Jacob... Jacob became prosperous. God blessed him. 
not because he was worthy. Jacob was kind of lazy in some ways, especially when it came to spiritual things. But God blessed Jacob, and he became prosperous. Think about this. He cheated his brother Esau. He cheated him. God said, I'm going to make you the stronger. I'm going to make you the one that's going to be in charge. Your brother Esau, which is the older, which normally would be the one in charge, is going to serve you. So instead of just allowing God to do that, he went and cheated Esau out of the blessing from the father and so forth. So why did God bless Jacob? Because God chose to bless Jacob. See, God is sovereign. God chooses to do certain things, and that is why. It's not always a spiritual thing. I mean, God chose Samson in the Bible. Samson wasn't a great guy either, and God chose Samson. See, God's blessings are attached to his grace and not to our works. And once we become Christians, we belong to him. And guess what? We're not perfect. We're going to blow it. Yet God still loves us. He chooses to bless us in spite of ourselves. Think about that for a second. God chooses to bless us in spite of our sin, in spite of us going the wrong direction sometimes. And other people are like, why is God blessing you? And I would have the same question sometimes. And the answer is because God chooses to. He knows the big picture. He chooses to bless us in spite of ourselves sometimes. And we need to remember that. We are blessed because God chooses to bless us even when we don't deserve it. Now, should that mean that we go down the wrong path? Well, God is going to bless me anyway, so I might as well go that way. No, that's not the point. God's trying to bless you to get you to see his ways to get you to come back toward him. So we praise God for that. And when we blow it, what do we do? We ask for for God's, you know, we ask God for his grace, ask God for his forgiveness in our lives because God loves us. He does. And we need to, to, to not forget that. So often we get gone down a path that, that we shouldn't go down. Maybe it's the path of least resistance or the easiest path in our life or whatever it is. And we get down that path and we go, man, I've made it pretty far and God hasn't even noticed. <laughs> God knows. God has noticed, but he wants you to come back to him. Don't go down that path and just think, well, I've gone too far. Because God's sitting there going, no, 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 brother, you can come back. I mean, Joseph's brothers are going to send him all the way to Egypt. And Joseph is going to get into some, some pretty interesting situations where he gets thrown into prison for something he doesn't do. I mean, first he gets thrown into a pit, beaten and thrown into a pit, and then sold into slavery. Oh, what a great, you know, brotherly love family, you know? And then he's going to go, and he's going to be blessed by God, and then he's going to get thrown into prison. Now, Jacob... I mean, Joseph could do one of two things. He could wallow in his, in his bad fortune, or he could make the most of it and still follow the Lord. 
We need to do that in our lives. We need to make the most of what God has got us into in the situation, or maybe what we've got ourselves into, God needs to save us out of. But we need to make the most of it and go toward God and choose to do the right things that God wants us to do. Not just for God's blessing, but because it's right. One of the things I'm trying to teach my kid is, you know, I, I say my kid just because Brandon's at that point where I can teach him this stuff. Grayson's not yet there. But right from wrong, you know, there are some things that are just right and there's some things that are just wrong. And I will use different situations and I will point it out to him. Well, you see that what happened there? They did that just because it was right. We need to do that. See that right there? No, no. We don't do that because that's just plain wrong that goes against God, that goes against you know, what your parents want you to do. It goes against all these different things, right from wrong. We know what's right and we know it's wrong. And we have to choose. Now, I guarantee you, if you want more blessings, do what's right, and God will continue to bless you. Sometimes he will bless you even if you're on the wrong path, trying to get your attention and say, I'm still here involved in your life. But you'll get many more blessings if you go toward God, right? Well, I need to, to stop it right there because I can't really, next week's lesson is really good and I, I didn't want to split it up. So, so we're going to be done a little early today. So why don't you stand and Joshua and the worship team will come and, uh, and get us out of here today with the last song. So let's pray as they, they come up. Lord, we just thank you so much for blessing us. There's so many times in our lives that you bless us and we don't even thank you. We don't even notice it's from you. And I pray that you just kind of open our eyes to, to your ways and to your blessings. I pray that we don't take those for granted. Lord, I also pray that, that, that we're not tr- out there trying to, try, trying to pull happiness out of our situations. That we, we rely on you to give us full joy in our life. I pray for those marriages out there, Lord, that, that, that struggle or have difficulty. That you would make us as spouses look at our other spouse and say I want to make them joyful I want to make them happy in the name of the Lord that they not that we don't force our spouses to to try to look for that happiness that it's just there I pray that you build our marriages build our strong marriages look let us look to those that are older than us that have those marriages that have lasted a long time figure out what works for their marriage and try to implement that in our marriage. But Lord, ultimately it comes down to your grace and your love. And I pray that in this world that we look to you and not to the ways of this world that are so screwed up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. May his grace and blessings fall upon you in this this time of your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.